Father, we thank you so much for your words. Please open our eyes, open our hearts, prepare us to hear what you're saying, help us to see what it means in our lives today with these deeply challenging words from this Sermon on the Mount. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to Warriors Anonymous. My name is Tom, and I struggle to trust God. I easily get anxious about all kinds of things going on in my life. Big things about the future, little things about today and tomorrow. Now, of course, I'm pretty good at not giving away my internal anxieties most of the time, because I'm a Christian. And Christians are people who trust God and don't have any problems. Isn't that true? Well, actually, I'm not so sure. I want to trust God, but I struggle to trust God. And here's the thing, I know that you're exactly the same. You struggle to trust God too. It will come out in different ways for each of us. Why do we struggle? Well, maybe because we feel God has let us down in some way and we can't take another disappointment. We're not sure if he's really there or he really cares. Maybe because the world is a worrying place. It's all Brexit hysteria and terrorist attacks and famine and natural disasters. And and then there's our own circumstances, our relationships. Can I trust him? Our money, how will I cope? Our health, what will the results say? Our children, if we have them, are they growing up trusting Jesus? Our death. Perhaps not just fearing for ourselves, but also for those we may leave behind. Sometimes it's just little inconsequential things that they keep us awake at night. What colour paint should I choose? Which brand of washing machine? Now why do we sort of obsess over silly little things like that? Maybe because there are so many things in life over which we know we have absolutely no control whatsoever that we find things that we can sort of vaguely control and we worry about those instead. Now, how do I know that you worry like that too? Because that is how the Bible describes human beings. Here it is, right in the middle of this uh, second reading we heard from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, do not worry about your life. How do I know that you worry like I do? Because Jesus isn't saying this, uh, what he says here in this reading, because he thinks that his followers might just occasionally suffer from the odd anxious moments, but otherwise live a blissful, carefree existence. He says it because he knows what we're we're really like. We worry. And so that's what we're looking at this evening as we return to this mouth-watering manifesto for the kingdom of heaven. We've had a little break over the last few weeks looking at Jude, if you've been here, but we're back with Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I guess uh, people, different people will worry to different degrees on this. Uh, there may even be some, uh, just a few, who say, well, I'm, you know, I'm not sure I do worry, actually. You know, I'm carefree. I avoid responsibility. And you people who fret all the time, you just need to chill. Now, I suspect that that kind of person will be worrying more under the surface than they let on. But actually, that attitude normally goes with a kind of idleness. And whatever else Jesus is saying here... I don't think his intention is to affirm those who are basically idle in their 
idleness, as if the, 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 the solution to worry is just to sort of stop doing everything and quit life. Actually, the, Bible of, the rest of the Bible has plenty to say about that. This isn't just forget all your responsibilities, let somebody else pick up the slack for you. This is something different. But then, um, apart from those people, there, there are people who temperamentally worry about absolutely everything. Life is one perpetual worried frown. Even if life is going well, well, you know, that can't be right. There must be something about to go wrong. And and frankly, please stop talking so much about worry because now I'm worrying that I worry too much. Well, if that sounds even a bit familiar, I think what Jesus is saying here is certainly relevant. Then there's a third kind of person who says, ha, I'll show you what worry looks like. Try raising a disabled child. Try watching your husband struggle to find a job. Try dealing with loneliness on a daily basis. Try caring for your ageing and helpless parents. You don't know what you're talking about when you say don't worry, you might think. Well, I have a little bit of sympathy with that. About um, eight years ago, about a month before our son Zachary was born, uh, I went into hospital for what was meant to be a routine internal investigation of my bowel. Now, I won't elaborate any further on that. But at the end of it, they sat me down with Sue, sort of heavily pregnant at that point, and they said, there's something in your colon, and we don't like the look of it at all. We're pretty sure it's cancer. And here is your Macmillan nurse. Now go home and wait for the biopsy results. So we began to learn what worry looks like on a whole different level from anything I'd ever experienced before in the first 30 years of my life. After about 10 days, uh, they rang up. They said, it's not cancer. We don't think it is. Praise God. But it is Crohn's disease. You need a major operation, which I duly had a few months later. And that's still a sort of background issue in my life now. So there's still plenty of things to worry about if I'm in the mood. Maybe you've experienced similar things or worse. Uh, But for me, for us as a family, it's made worry and anxiety a live issue, something that we, we deal with often. So when Jesus says in our passage, do not worry, I sit up and I listen and I think, is he for real? Because what does he mean? Look at verse 25. Do you see? Do not worry. And do you see at the beginning of verse 25, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. What's the reason he's saying, do not worry? Well, it links back to verses 19 to 24. What we worry about is linked to where our treasure is. In other words, what we value. And that takes us to the first heading you'll see there. The big question, what do you value the most? What do you value the most? Because we care about what we value. Now, I've talked before, if you've been here, about losing my wedding ring. One day, it just wasn't on my finger. And when that happens, you don't sort of just go, oh, well, never mind, carry on. You, 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 know, you, you cancel your plans. You start looking for it. Now, actually, it was under my bed the whole time. But I only discovered that once I'd searched a large field with a metal detector. 
and I'd made an insurance claim and the new ring had actually arrived. It was on the day that the new ring arrived that I found the old one under the bed. So I, I did cancel the claim. But that's what you do, isn't it? You go searching. You, 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 if, you value about, if you value something, then you really care about it. So you don't just shrug your shoulders and move on. But if you lose the lid of your biro, or even the biro itself, well, life carries on, really, doesn't it? And at face value, what Jesus is saying here is fairly clear. If you look at verses 19 to 21, earthly treasure will get eaten by moths and rust. It won't last. It will get lost. Someone will steal it. But treasure in heaven won't do that. Peter writes in his first letter about the inheritance that Christians have because Jesus has risen from the dead. And he says it can never perish, spoil or fade. Now that inheritance is eternal life. It's not stuff, it's not things. It's unspoiled, intimate, perfect relationship with the God who made us. It's what we're made for. What else could motivate somebody like Laya Sharibu? Have you heard her story? She's a young Nigerian girl who was taken captive by Boko Haram, along with uh, dozens of school friends, a couple of months ago. And uh, they were, most of them were then freed. I think that was a couple of months ago when they were freed. All except for Laya. And she remains in captivity because she had refused her captor's orders to convert from Christianity to Islam. Her father, Nata, said this to reporters. He said, Boko Haram insurgents decided not to release my daughter because she refused to denounce Christ. I am happy for that. Even though, as a father, I wish she had returned home as the rest. But God is in control. Now, how on earth can he say such a thing? How on earth can she do such a thing? You know, think what she's facing. She's facing solitary captivity or worse, while all her friends go back to their families, go free. Why are they doing that? Because their treasure is in heaven. And you can hear in what the father says, that he's still worried and concerned as a father. Of course he is. He doesn't sort of switch that off. And yet that worry and concern has been transformed because his treasure and his daughter's treasure is not on earth, but in heaven. And so they know it's worth it. They're they're heroes of faith, aren't they? But for us, so often our vision is clouded by earthly things. That's what Jesus then says in verses 22 and 23. Our eyes become unclear and we shut out the lights from our bodies. That's what happens when good earthly things become idols. They they cloud our vision. So he argues no one can serve two masters. You've got to choose. It's either God or it's money. Material wealth, possessions. Heaven or earth. Which is your treasure? Now I guess we easily hear that and we think, yeah, but can't it be both? I mean, actually, you, you, you can serve two masters. You, you can have two jobs. It's, it's workable. Many people do. 
Well, it's helpful to remember that in the culture of Jesus' day, a master wasn't an employer in, in modern terms, with everything kind of carefully worked out on a contract with you know, employment law, trade union pressure. There were no employment tribunals. A master was effectively a slave owner, someone with all-consuming, unchallengeable power and authority. When you think of it like that, it's a little easier to see that it wouldn't work for a slave to have two masters, would it? But that's how it is with God, you see, because we can only have one person or thing to whom we give wholehearted, 100% allegiance. And it's not that we can't have money or possessions, or even that we can't work for those things, but as has often been said, money is a great tool and a terrible master. And when, when that's what drives us and gets us out of bed and, and, and keeps us going, you know, when, when, when it's that desire for money, for wealth, for earthly security, for people to speak well of us, for a reputation, for power, those things, when they drive us and get us out of bed, they become our masters. We will do anything for them, but they will ultimately let us down. Do you know the hymn, Guide Me, O Thou Great Redeemer? Has anybody here Welsh? The Welsh love, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Uh, or Jehovah, yeah. Um, they, they, they love to sing it at uh, rugby matches. And it has the line, land me safe on Canaan's side. In other words, take me safely to the new heavens and new earth. But in an old hymn book, it was once uh, printed with a misprint. Land my safe on Canaan's side. Slightly changes the meaning, doesn't it? But as much as we might long for that to be possible, to kind of take it all with us, it's not going to happen. We bring nothing into the world, we take nothing out of the world. And if it's not recession or credit crunch or theft or disaster that takes it away, well, death certainly will. Someone who had learnt a more healthy attitude to his wealth was the 17th century biblical commentator Matthew Henry, who was once robbed, and when he returned home, he wrote this in his diary. He said, Lord, I thank you that I have never been robbed before, that although they took my money, they spared my life. That although they took everything, it wasn't very much. And that it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. See, that is somebody who knows where his treasure is. And you can see that that is transforming his attitude to worry. So that's the first big thing to have in place. And it explains how Jesus can say, verse 25, Therefore, do not worry. But he then gives two further reasons to trust our Heavenly Father instead of fret. Here's, here's the, two, the, the first one of the two further reasons. He cares for things that are less valuable. Do not worry about things like food and clothing, the necessities of life, says Jesus. Why? Well, look at the birds. It is an argument from lesser things to greater things. What's he saying? He's saying you can trust someone who pays careful attention to small details. It's like when you go to a restaurant. We can try this later if you want. And you're wondering how much attention they pay to health and safety and cleanliness. Now, if you're British like me, then you feel a bit awkward about asking them straight out if they keep their kitchen clean. I can see your certificates, please, and all that sort of thing. You're not really going to do that. But there is a solution. There is something you can do. 
Do you know what it is? You can go and look at the toilets. Because if they keep the toilets clean and well stocked with soap and hand towels, and you know that little chart on the wall where they tick off that they've been inspecting it, and they're doing that, you can see that. Well, if they're, if they're bothering to do that with the toilets, you can be sure that they do the same in the kitchen where it really matters, where they're preparing food. God cares for the birds. And so, if you look at the end of verse 26, are you not much more valuable than they? He cares for the less valuable, so he will certainly care for you. And it's the same with the lilies, verse 28. He clothes them, not just sort of functionally, but beautifully. Now, of course, we read this and we think, Really? Is this, is this really true? Does he really provide food and clothing for every Christian, even the ones living in poverty in the third world? Will he, will he really do this for me? Well, it's helpful to read this alongside other things Jesus said. One thing he said was in Luke chapter 21, where he says to his followers, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. It's pretty blunt, isn't it? And these are the same people that he will have addressed in the Sermon on the Mount. People who are meant to be free of worry. And yet, some of them will be put to death. And over the centuries, Christians have been put to death in every imaginable, horrible circumstance, tragically. Including, presumably, starving in prison or left to die in the cold without clothing. But the point is, even when your treasure is... Sorry, the point is, when your treasure is in heaven, even that is okay. It's painful. It's horrible. It's good to avoid it if you can, but it's literally not the end of the world. Do you see? So this reads not as a, a cast iron, no exceptions promise, but a general principle. God is going to get you to heaven. He will care for you on the way. For some, that might mean suffering and persecution remember how the sermon on the mount began blessed are you when you're persecuted what an extraordinary thing to say well this kingdom that he's outlining is a topsy-turvy place isn't it there's blessing where you least expect it even in the midst of suffering that doesn't make sense to us but in the general case there's this principle god cares in general for things that are far less valuable so he will care for you you can trust him and then finally, he gives us something that is more valuable. So before the argument was from lesser things to greater things, now the argument is from the greater to the lesser. If he's given you the kingdom, well, he will certainly sort out these more minor matters of food, drink and clothing. It's a bit like a generous uncle, perhaps, saying, I really love you. I want to show you how much I care for you. So I've decided to pay for you to go on an all-expenses trip to Barbados. You know, this kind of thing is going to cost thousands of pounds. Amazing. It's not cheap. And you say, oh, thank you. That, that's fantastic. But then you start to worry. And what you worry about is how you're going to get to the airport. Well, I haven't got any money at all. I mean, how am I going to afford a taxi? And the generous uncle finds out about this. And he says, that'd be ridiculous. Do you think I'm going to shell out thousands of pounds for you to go on this amazing holiday and then withhold the trip to the airport? So I've given you something really valuable. 
you know, you can be sure I'll deal with the inconsequential details. That's how it is here. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. You've got what really matters. You've got the most precious gift in the universe. And what that tells us about our father is that he is generous and he loves to give. And he secured the kingdom for you at the highest possible price, the death of his own son. And next to the kingdom, food and clothing really is inconsequential and humdrum. It's the trip to the airport and the taxi compared to lying by the pool drinking cocktails with those little umbrellas on them. Pagans run after food and clothing. That's basically Hampstead High Street, isn't it, in a nutshell? (laughs) Pagans running after food and clothing. But actually, for many, that is the be-all and end-all, isn't it? Because, well, there's nothing else to do. So we've got to focus on that. But your father knows that you need them. He's got it all in hand. What you need to do is seek his kingdom and you'll find he sorts out all this other stuff about food and clothing and so he concludes verse 34 therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own Uh, what a liberating verse isn't it fantastic you you can imagine a a knowing smile on jesus's lips as he says this do you see what he's saying It's not that there's no room whatsoever for for worry. Well, there will be things to worry about today. Each day has a bit of trouble that you need to deal with. It's not that you just sit back and do nothing. There's stuff to do right now, today. But most of our fretting and worrying is to do with things over which we have absolutely no control whatsoever. It's things that are in the future. How can we affect what happens then? It's not in our control. It hasn't happened yet. It might never happen. And Jesus is saying... Get your treasure right. Focus on the kingdom of heaven. And that actually frees you from anxious fretting and allows you to get on with what's important right here, right now. The things you can do right now, today. So I've found in the more acute times of illness and other issues in the past, what you, what you, what you long for is a kind of road map that tells you exactly what the outcome of this situation that you face is going to be. And it gives you a day-by-day, blow-by-blow account of how you're going to get there. You think, okay, if I had that, then that would be okay. Even if life is going to be difficult, I'll kind of know each day what to expect, and then I'll be able to put things in place and and deal with it. But the thing I struggle with is I just don't know what's going to happen, and that's really difficult. So we think, I I don't, you know, I I want him to give me that. But actually, that isn't how God works. It never has been. We heard that in the first reading with the manna in the desert. See, what was the deal with the manna? It was given to the Israelites one day at a time. When they tried to gather more, it went bad. Give us today our daily bread, praised Jesus earlier in the chapter. Not all the bread we'll ever need right here, right now. That's not what you have to pray for. No, pray enough for today. So he doesn't give us a roadmap. What he actually gives us is much better. He gives us a person. He gives us a guide. He gives us Jesus, the bread of life, who says, I'm here with you today. I will be with you here tomorrow, and I will get you to your destination through whatever you have to face on the way. It's not a roadmap. It's a guide. You see, we're we're, we're created to depend on our Heavenly Father. And this links back to verses 
19 to 24, with the treasure, because one of the great dangers of wealth and material success is that sense of independence and security that makes us think, I'm okay. I don't need to pray that prayer, give us today our daily bread, because frankly, I've diversified my portfolio and no disaster can touch me now. That's why Jesus says elsewhere, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not, not impossible, but hard. Because the kingdom of heaven is for those who realise their need to depend on their heavenly father. Those who are poor in spirit. Those whose treasure is not on earth, but in heaven. See, in the West, we assume that the big danger in life is losing everything, being poor. That's what we fear. Maybe we should be just as concerned about wealth because of its potential to make us think we don't need to depend on our father. When your treasure is in heaven, then the number on the bank statement loses its significance. And when tough times hit, you know, well, maybe it is going to be tough for a while, but God is with me every step of the way, which will bring us back from worrying about all those future steps to right now, to today. So when you're facing some huge insurmountable decision, when you're dealing with the fear of the future, fear of loss, fear of vulnerability, of of loneliness, or whatever it might be, what does it look like to live today in the light of that treasure in heaven? See, for me, I I think it wasn't until I suffered in the ways I've described that I really began to learn to pray. That's a great place to start, isn't it, in the face of our fears, to go to the Psalms, perhaps. See, they will model what to do with our pain. But then more than that, to see your worries in the light of your treasure in heaven. See, how will I provide for myself, or for my family, for my parents, if the worst happens? Well, we don't know. Nobody knows So that those answers to those big what-if kind of questions. But we do know that we have a Father in heaven who cares for us, who will be there with us. So we do know how we'll cope when those things happen. Not the details, but we know who will be there with us. So don't worry about tomorrow. What can you do today? Does today actually need to be less about fretting about all that stuff that's out of our control and and more about learning to trust and to rest so that we can keep going tomorrow? If there is some looming, impossibly huge decision or issue, well, break it down. Find the one small thing you can do today to make some progress and then trust God with what remains. And then do the same tomorrow. Sometimes we need each other to help each other work all that out. That's what we each other are here for. In in, in the face of our worries, big and small, we have to keep asking ourselves this question. Where is my treasure? What do I value? And if my treasure is heaven, if what I value is the kingdom of heaven, that's what I'm seeking, then even if and when my worst dreams come true, I'm safe. I'm secure. We have a heavenly Father who cares for us and He promises to be with us. So, will we trust Him? Let me pray.
Father God, we come before you as those who worry in all kinds of different ways, in different circumstances. We thank you for these words. We thank you for the treasure of life in the kingdom of God, life with you that lasts forever, freedom from sin and freedom from death, freedom from all that we fear. That is what you hold out to us. It can never perish, spoil or fade. Father, we pray that we would single-mindedly, wholeheartedly hold on to that precious gift. And therefore know that we do not need to worry. And that when we do worry, when we face these things on a daily basis, we would be able to seek your kingdom and focus on living today with our eyes fixed on heaven. Help us, Father, to encourage each other in these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.